Hello and welcome to Jumpstart Weekly, the podcast I never know how to start. My name is Jeremy, your host. And I'm Kevin, also your host. See, you always match me when I do it awkwardly and it makes me feel more awkward. Maybe that's what we're going for. I feel very awkward in our current recording setup, so it yeah. makes sense. But at least I have a friendly dog to be on my foot. Okay, so we read Shonen Jump 350 this week, as well as Volume 1 of Naoki Takeuchi's Sailor Moon, which we will get to later, and maybe much later, because there were 12 stories in Shonen Jump this week. Yep, pretty big issue. Yes, I wish they were all good. I mean, I like this issue. I didn't like it, especially after last week. It felt like a lot of in-progress stuff, but we'll get to that shortly. So we can start with the cover. It's a Black Clover cover featuring the character who has not shown up in black clover since i started reading yep asta is sitting on a chair it's a very dynamic cover of a dude sitting in a chair and by that i mean it's just a dude sitting in a chair yeah it's not it's not the best cover nor does it have anything to do with the chapter nope uh so let's get into that black clover page 180 sharpened blades so basically this chapter is all about a guy with spatial black hole magic yeah and the three guys fighting him? It's three guys, right? Yep. It's Finnis, Captain Yami, and the captain of the Green Mantises, who I can't remember his name. And the dude is Finnis's brother? Yep. Okay. That's about all I got. This chapter is basically all fight scene. Other than that, the guy who's not Yami or Finnis, whose the name Green- I've already forgotten. Like I said, I can't remember it either. He's the captain of the Green Mantises. Gotcha. He has blade magic. He can cut through anything. Yeah. It's actually kind of cool. Like, they explain it a bit more that the ability to cut through any magic is actually really interesting, and it's a very cool thing that he does. It's not just like, I can cut through anything. Like, he has to intuitively feel what his opponent's magic is like in order to cut through it. So he learns to cut through black holes. And that's basically this entire issue is them jumping around black holes, trying not to get hit by them because they're black holes. Yeah, they're not really black holes. They're more like very small gates to somewhere else. So like if you get hit by it, you'll part of your body will be sent somewhere else. Well, they say it's a one hit kill, so I assume it'll all be sucked in. Yeah, but it doesn't sound like that. It more seems like if you get hit with it, they're not sucking you in. So... What he means is there's no way to defend against it. Like, you can't block his... I I don't exactly know how his spatial magic works. Finnis can just, like, make gates to other places. Like, that's his big thing. Versus his brother can, like, destroy things with it somehow. I'm not super up on how exactly his magic works, but he's able to, like, annihilate things. Okay. So this chapter is just one big fight scene, mostly. And I still don't like the fight scenes in Black Clover, so... yeah. It was not much for me. I liked it this week. All right. So next we have Blue Exorcist Chapter 104, SSC 1921. I got this one more than last one. Yeah. Still time travel stuff, right? Yeah. He's still viewing the past. It would be cool if we saw him viewing and reacting to anything, but. We have before. I think last chapter there was bits of it. But yeah, this. Ren? Yeah. Rin isn't in it at all. Normally he's like, you'll see him in the background or he'll like be reacting to Mephistopheles. No, Mephistos. Mephistos? Whatever the demon of time is in this. Anyway, this is about his mom raising Satan with his foster dad, right? Yes. Well, they don't realize it's Satan at first. Yes, and even it doesn't realize it's Satan at first. Yeah. 
It's apparently just like a super dangerous baby that doesn't realize what's going on. Well, yeah, but Lucifer mentions the fact that it's uh, like all of creation is bundled within it. So it's like the physical manifestation of creation. And it turns out that it thinks itself is Satan. Yeah. It reads a bunch of books and realizes, hey, I'm Satan. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And that's pretty much this chapter. Yeah. The reason he reads the bunch of books is because Fujimoto beats him in a game of flipping frogs into a bucket. And so he wants to learn everything so he can... Well, he wants to beat Fujimoto because he likes Rin's mom. Yeah. And he feels jealous of Fujimoto because she likes Fujimoto, uh, even though he, he sort of likes her, but he's very weird about showing his affection. So he is being very childish because that's just Fujimoto. And he beats Satan. I guess Rinka is what he's been called before this. Uh, this child's game. And Rinka's like, I'm going to beat him. I'm going to beat him. And so that's when he decides to learn everything in order to beat Fujimoto. All right. So that brings us to a much less demonic chapter. One Piece chapter 923, Emperor of the Sea, Kaido versus Luffy. I really like this one. It's pretty good. It's basically just a fight between Luffy and Kaido, but it's a fight that only takes one chapter, so. Yeah. Well, a lot of it is, so it's Luffy beating up on drunk Kaido, who seems to just not be caring about anything. And then uh, we see a bit of, Shutenmaru? Shutenmaru, yeah. Is like, we need to get to the castle. So maybe he's one of the rebels because he had this idea that maybe something happened. I'm pretty sure that was the implication earlier that yeah. he's one of the rebels. But he like tells all his men, hey, you get out of here. Yep. I got to deal with this. And then we have Kaido finally transform back into human form and take out Luffy in a single blow. Yes. And also, the girl that Luffy found on the island earlier is dead? Is that the implication? I that think she's just, her? she's just presumed dead. At I this don't, point, yes. Because he beat up the horse woman who had been protecting her, and she was like, I failed to protect her, so she's presumed dead, but I don't know if that was like an actual image of her being dead, or if it was just Luffy assuming that she's dead. But yeah, as soon as Kaido turns into a human, he does the like samurai movie thing of doing an attack that goes by Luffy. Yeah. And it just knocks him out immediately. With a, a giant like Tetsubo. Yeah. That looked like it had electricity coming off of it. I'm not sure. Yeah. I don't know if he was trying to imply the fact that it was like a lightning flash or it was legitimately electrified. Gotcha. That makes sense. Either way. Yeah. Like you said, it was there was lightning coming off of it. But yeah, it was a pretty good chapter. Definitely my favorite fight scene in this entire issue of Shonen Jump. Yep. Anything else you want to say about it or should we move on? No, I mean, it was really just the fight scene. So there's some really great panels of like Luffy pounding into Kaido. And I really liked some of the reactions on Kaido where it literally looks like nothing is happening to him. Yeah. Like they're trying to show the fact that Luffy doesn't face him at all. Yes, which is pretty cool. So Luffy will have to come up with some other big plan to beat him. Or maybe Shutenmaru will do it. Possibly. I know people have been speculating for a while that someone is going to teach Luffy how to awaken his devil fruit powers. I mean, that makes sense. They're clearly leading up to that. Although I don't know what turning things into rubber would do for him. Yeah, but at the same time, maybe there's like, I could see something cool where he's like bouncing himself and his enemy around the, like the room they're in could be pretty cool. That could be cool. You're right. But yeah, the, clearly they're hinting at the fact that somebody needs to teach Luffy how to awaken his powers. Or he needs to figure it out. Totally possible, but for the most part, Luffy has had at least somewhat of a teacher. I mean, it, not for gear second or third, though. So I feel like it's alternated. 
Yeah. A lot of his stuff is self-taught, but a lot of it isn't. All right, so that brings us to the comic, Volume 4, which is still one of my favorite stories in Shonen Jump. Yep. Last chapter, I found a little weak, but I really like this one. It starts with Himikawa, who is the villain of the story, going to the prison, where he has inscribed on his tie a manga death threat for Baba. Yes. Which is a pretty baller move. Yep. Because it's just a little comic of Baba being Halloween murdered that he's just put on his tie and well, hides in his suit jacket on the way in and out. Yep. Which is weird because he would have been searched and, like, in reality, they would have found that. That's true. You would not just, like, not look under his tie. But maybe, like, he takes off his suit and tie at the same time. How? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. It's a really cool image, but... In reality, there's no way. I mean, maybe he was famous enough that there were like they just did a pat down and didn't like check anything. Maybe it was on the other side of his tie, and he flipped his tie around. I don't think they usually like look at both sides totally, of your tie. To totally see. possible. I'd never been patted down though, so maybe they do. Anyway, it's a pretty like stake raising chapter because after that, the cops are looking for Sakamaki because he's not at his house. He's in the manga cafe. And apparently yep. there was a woman tied up in his house that was discovered by one of his neighbors. Yep. So he is now wanted by the police. But his sister brought him her Halloween costume while she was warning him. So he's able to escape. Yep. This was a little weird for me because I feel like he's been in an internet cafe the whole time. He could very easily corroborate the fact that he was not home. Yes. And so, so like this is a setup. Don't run away. I've literally been here. It's not like I've been out and about. I've been here. You're, I mean, if he's at an internet cafe, like people have seen him or he's renting the room or something like that, you can be like, look, I was clearly here. What hostage would shout out, oh, it was actually this guy that did the Halloween Town murder, the dude who didn't <laughs> even know it existed a couple of days ago when the inspector questioned him. So, yeah, I think that's just a difference between the views the Japanese people have towards their legal system and the views Americans have towards it. That's and probably what it is. And we've already seen this as a guy who doesn't really trust the cops. It does seem like he should have a pretty good alibi. Yeah, he should have an extremely solid alibi. Yeah, I bought this room for the internet cafe and have been here the whole time. All right, so that brings us to another story I really like. We Never Learn, question 86. <gasps> the star of Ultimate Love in the Name of X Part 2? <sighs> So this is a pretty direct follow-up from the last chapter with Fumiko moving in with Yuga. Yep. We see his sister, who for some reason is wearing a apron that says sister ending story on it. I don't know why, but I find that very funny. Yeah. Also, his sister is into him too. Yes. Because everybody is into this average dude. Yep. It's one of those stories. So. Yes. <laughs> but everyone, everyone is into this guy. Yep. So his sister is pulling a thing that she's done several times before of like, oh, welcome home. Would you like to uh, start with dinner or a bath? And then like she'll try and insinuate that she'll get in the bath with him. Gotcha. But that's so that's what she was going to do. And then she turned around and saw Fumino there and was like, who, who <laughs> is this? So anyway, his mom lets Fumino stay with them because she also thinks that math asshole dad is an asshole. Yeah, and she's also, it's that young love thing. Yeah. So the two of them, Yugiya and Uno, end up studying together until they fall asleep. There's lots of the normal romantic comedy stuff they have in this. They're brushing their teeth together. 
yeah, Fumino's like, oh, we're like a newlywed couple, but she doesn't say that out loud. And then, but he's like, oh, we're like a newlywed couple. And she's like, don't say it out loud. So, and then they end up sleeping on a table together and wake up late. So she's like, oh no, if we come in late together, people will start talking. Yep. And then she's like, you go on ahead. What do you want me to do? Run faster? Because they're running because they're late. And people are starting to suspect something is weird because Sports Girl, which I can't remember her name. She's like, oh, isn't that the same camisole that you were wearing yesterday? She's like, no, it's it's similar, but it's not it's not quite the same. Oh, you like that pattern? Yes, yes, that's exactly what it is. Oh, uh, you, you changed your shampoo? Oh, I'm into this shampoo. He's like, oh, well, I don't know what it is. Oh, yeah, yeah, bye, bye, bye. Yeah, because clearly she smells like Yu-Gi-Oh's shampoo. Yeah. So they decide to sneak back into her house while her dad is at work to get her stuff. Yeah, she at least needs a bunch of clothes. Yeah, but of course her dad comes home early on that day, so they end up having to hide together in a small box. Yep. And that is where the chapter ends. Yep, with uh, Yuhi uh, commenting, wouldn't it be worse if your dad found us like this? <laughs> yes. Anyway, I really like it. Like, I've always liked We Never Learned, and this like little story is doing a lot for me. I feel... Like, it's maybe this that I like continuing stories more than one-off chapters, but... Yeah, that's probably it. But yeah, this was this was a nice one. All right. And that brings us to yet another one of my favorite stories. They were all kind of bundled together in this issue. Food Wars, Chapter 286, A Chef's Price. So, Soma and his friends, Takuma and uh, Todorokuro? Yeah, Megumi. Right. Todoroki Megumi. Oh, I gotcha. I think... I, I don't know if I'm flipping her name around or not anyway they also passed and they also had weird themes we don't get to see how they solved their chef puzzles yeah but aldini had to make a a meal fit to be a baby's first solid food and megumin had to make a meal that both a dog and its owner could enjoy which is honestly like at first, that sounds super hard, and then you think, well, well I mean, the steak. dog's... Well, well, I was like, no, that I mean, the dog's gonna like whatever. Like, it's a dog. Be, well, it has to be safe for the dog, I assume. Yeah. But yes, it does not seem like it would actually be that hard to make good dog food. Yeah. I, I, like, they eat my scraps anyway, so... Uh, Alright, cool. They move on to the second trial, where the judge is this super bratty girl who insists on super expensive designer water to drink. Yeah, well, Perrier isn't that expensive. Okay, well, I am not familiar with fancy it's, waters. It's a sparkling water. It's like asking for like a, a Fuji water or something or like, like that. Like, yeah, it's it's more expensive than regular water, yes, but she's not asking for something outrageous. It's just like, I want like this specific brand of sparkling water, which is still bratty, but it's not, all right, I need bottled water from a fresh mountain spring. Go, that mountain over there probably has one. Anyway, she's in front of a convenience store, and the trial is that you have to, using ingredients from the convenience store, make a meal that's worth at least 100 US dollars. Which is a lot. And so, like, a lot of the judges saying it's going to be like 100 yen, and so $100 is like 10,000 yen. So we've got to multiply the value of our ingredients by 100 in order to make this meal for her. So Soma's busy not listening to the instructions, and he notices one of his teachers is here because he got a buy to get through to the second challenge. Not actually one of his teachers. He was the old first seat before Soma beat him, so he is one of his seniors. He's like a second or a third year. Okay. 
but he's not he's not one of the teachers. Gotcha. He used the term sensei, so I assumed he was a teacher. It's because he's um a senior. Gotcha. That makes sense. Yep. Anyway, Sukasa challenges Soma to a contest about which of them can make the more air quote expensive meal. Yep. As if when you put food into this girl's mouth, he just shouts a dollar value, which I'm would that, actually be pretty good. That's exactly what she's going to do, okay? She is going to tell you the dollar value of your food. And she's going to do that for everybody, yes, which is going to be great. It also establishes that they get three chances. So Yeah, they get gonna... three chances and 90 minutes. Which might mean that there's going to be some like strike drama, or also that Soma might pass on his first try, but then Tsukasa will do something better, so he tries again two more times. Totally possible. Uh, they also mentioned that they will be restocking stuff at the convenience store, but the super popular stuff might run out. So they need to take that into account, too. All right. So, yeah, Food Wars continues to be pretty good, though this was, again, a very set up chapter. Yep. So next we have World Trigger, Chapter 166, Tamakami 2, Part 2, Any 1. Yeah. Hey, have you ever been more bored by a manga chapter than this? This was, like, so the problem I have with this chapter is I can see the stuff that I need to know in order to find this interesting. Yeah. Like, there's the team dynamics, they're talking about, all right, we can't use this strategy that we used in the last three or four matches, we gotta use a different one. I was like, all right, this would be really cool if I knew what the wire strategy was. Why had they been using it? Who are these other teams that are talking about their other strategies? I think that's what gets to me about it, is we see the team we're supposed to be following lay out their strategy, and then we also see the other three teams that are competing with lay out their strategies. And it's just as elaborate, and it ends up feeling like anime filler, like they added all these scenes to stretch out the episode, but this is the source material. Yeah, because I think they're just trying to show like the what the teams are going for going in, because like one of the teams is all about improvisation. They're like, okay, this is going to be super unexpected. We've got to make sure that we adapt accordingly. And then clearly the main team is pulling out a new technique that we haven't seen yet. So we hear them talking about it, but they don't actually explain what the new strategy is going to be. And then the other ones, I don't know if we've even ever seen them fight before. So maybe like they're talking about their strategy and we get to see what it is. But like you said, I felt like, well, this would be really cool if I knew what any of these words meant. Yeah, and last chapter was all set up, so I was expecting us to like get into it and get some action this chapter. I was so, still expecting a bit more setup. I wasn't expecting them to literally end the chapter with them entering the thing. I thought we were going to enter and like start doing something. I expected like a page or two of setup, is I guess what I would yeah. say. To transition in. Like, for the first page turn reveal to be the battlefield or something. Yep. But this chapter just dragged on and on. Since we started this podcast, I've always like tried to pay very careful attention to the manga chapter I'm reading. This is the first one that I just kind of glossed over and skimmed. Yeah. I was just so uninterested in it. Yeah. I still haven't had a chance to catch up on world trigger. So I'm going to try and do that. Hopefully I get the time to do that and can kind of understand what's going on. Maybe it'll now that they're in the battle, it'll probably pick up and maybe that'll be cool, but hopefully I'll have an idea of what's going on so I can explain to you what's going on yeah why why is what's happening happening it just is very boring and seems like you don't want your first two chapters back in shonen jump to be boring like this the first one made sense to me because you need to kind of set the table so to speak 
Yeah, this was definitely a very weird thing. So maybe like you said, because I didn't research this at all, maybe this had been serialized in something else. And so it's just coming back to Shonen Jump, although that'd be very, honestly, that'd be very weird for it to be coming back to Shonen Jump. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So next was My Hero Academia, right? Yep. You want to say anything about it? This is a pretty cool chapter. There's uh, some new stuff revealed about some Class A heroes, some more stuff revealed about the Class B heroes. We're still in the middle of this, like, combat challenge, so there's some cool stuff going on. This is a pretty cool one. There was a lot of sweet reveals, and there's a pretty big cliffhanger for what's going to happen in the next chapter. That was pretty neat. I am catching up on My Hero Academia. It'll still probably be a couple weeks before I am caught up, but I've made progress, so. Sweet. I got through the tournament arc. That's not the very beginning. Yeah, that's that's decent. You know, you've got quite a ways into I'm, it. I'm still not caught up with the anime, but. Well, I mean, the anime is still really far. Like, we're only like one or two arcs ahead of the anime at this point. All right. But the next one I did read was The Promised Neverland, Chapter 110, What I Can Do, which is also a pretty kind of transition chapter of Promised Neverland. Yeah. I did like it a fair amount. You see Emma having to be team mom. You see all the kids being really stressed out and yep. arguing about what they should do, if they should go looking for Hugo and Lucas or yeah, kind of leave them for dead. Well, most of the kids want to go look for Hugo and Lucas. Like, oh, what if they manage to injure the enemy and are just like wounded or something like that? And Ray comes out as the voice of reason of, listen, we can't just go rushing around. That would kind of ruin the whole point of them sacrificing themselves staying behind to try and stop the enemy because sure what if they manage to kill all the enemy but are wounded out there we could go save them but what if they didn't what if they didn't manage to kill all the enemy and the enemy is still searching for us we could easily be found because of that yeah i think i would have liked this chapter more if, if i knew who more of these kids were because there are some that clearly seem like they're established characters but i haven't seen really since i yeah. started reading like the one who has the note from lucas in particular Seems like he's probably someone whose deal I should know. Yeah, some of the older characters have a lot more about them than some of the younger ones. A lot of the younger ones are kind of all grouped together. Yeah. Of like, these are the young kids and they're all super geniuses. But clearly a bunch of them, like they're young kids. They're still going to act like young kids, even though they're super intelligent. They don't have the emotional maturity, which this is jumping back quite a lot to uh, Blue Exorcist. But there was that section in that where uh, she was talking about this Rinka is gaining knowledge extremely fast, but he's not able to withstand the emotional stress of, all right, so he's like a super smart four-year-old, which is terrifying to think about. Yeah. Anyway, then we end this chapter with four of the kids deciding that they are going to sneak away from everybody else and go looking for Hugo and Lucas. And they're like, we might not make it to the shelter, but at the very least, we can kind of like look around. And of course, as they do this, Andrew finds them, who is like bleeding, clearly wounded. And he's like, haha, I found you. And that was the end of the chapter. Yep. So Andrew survived all the uh, murder attempts, which yep. is kind of necessary for there to be some tension. So, yeah, I really like the cliffhanger this episode left on. And I yeah. really like the Emma bits. I do think it was a pretty good chapter. There's just a lot of me wishing I man, I wish they would mention this guy's name so I could at least have that. Yeah. And we uh, kind of skipped over the fact that uh, Lucas left them a message that apparently right before the attack, he'd received a phone call from someone claiming to be one of their past benefactors, but who wasn't acting like it. Yep. But he didn't try to trick them or anything, so he is probably still trying to help them. 
Yeah. And they don't really know what the deal with him is and if they should look for him or... So, my theory is that it's... So, the main guy was Mr. Minerva. Yeah. I think this is also a Mr. Minerva. It's just not the same Mr. Minerva because it sounds like it's a last name. Yeah. So... His brother. His brother, his dad. It's probably like his brother because they apparently sound very similar, just like they were a little tonally different. And because these kids are super geniuses, they picked up on that. But they're like, well, I mean, if he's probably not an enemy because it would have been way more effective to trap us in the base before the ambush of the Ratiri clan than to try and send us to these weird coordinates. So more than likely, he's on the up and up. They're still going to be cautious about it, but they're like, oh, it wouldn't make any sense to send hunters after us, call, and then not get us to stay in the spot that the hunters know we are. Yeah. So anyway, I like what this chapter is setting up, but it is a setup chapter. Yeah. So that brings us to a chapter that's more of a payoff chapter. Dr. Stone, Z equals 81, fingertip. This is basically just another big fight scene. Yep. And while I like the last chapter of Dr. Stone pretty well, I feel like the art problems are kind of back in this one. Any particular panel would be a great pinup, but they don't really tell a very good story, I feel like. I can see where you're coming from with that, yeah. Like, it's very hard to follow the action from panel to panel, even though each individual one looks gorgeous. And I thought he did a lot better last chapter, but is kind of back on it this chapter. Yeah, I can see that. I didn't have any issues with that. I can see where you're coming from of... The panel's not flowing quite correctly. Anyway, Jin stabs Senku, and it's a pretty bad wound. And Senku says, hey, I'll beat you by just touching you with a fingertip. But he says, you're bluffing. So Sukasa is fighting him. At one point, Jin gets his spear to Sukasa's throat. But yep. that's enough for Senku to crawl back over to him and reveal he's got, like, battery armor under his coat. Yep, And it's hooked up to a, like, plug that he uses, like, a taser on Jin. Yep. And that's pretty much where the chapter ends. Yep. I did like the fact that he was talking about, he was like, oh, if this had been made of the current lithium-ion batteries, this wouldn't have helped at all. Because these are, like, their batteries made of, like, rare earth metals. So they're super dense and super thick. So they blocked the spear shot. And then the we used the stun gun. I was like, oh, that's, that was pretty cool. But this wasn't. One of my favorite chapters. Dr. Stone has kind of been, I think this is just another climax. Like, Yeah, he doesn't seem very good at them, the two I've read. Yeah. So, neither of them have been super exciting to me. We'll see, because it ends with Jim being attacked. He could be beaten here, or the fight could continue. It can go either way. Sukasa so has control of his spear. Like, and that's his big thing, is that if he has the spear, he does really well. But without the spear, he's not going to do as well. Like, that's how they beat him at one point before, was they managed to take his spear, like, break his spear, take it away from him. Okay. So that leads us almost to the end, the second to last chapter in here. Hunter x Hunter, Chapter 387, Recreation. Hey, I got this one! I understood it! This was a pretty cool one. So this chapter is, I believe it's the fourth prince, figuring out he has the ability to look ten seconds into the future. But it's not only that. Once he, like, stops using his power, he can sort of recreate the last 10 seconds and redo them. But everybody else sees the original 10 seconds. Yep. Even though the events are, like, of the, however he changed them, which is how he stopped himself from getting shot. 
And the lady whose name is Theta uh, saw him get shot and was part of that. But he redid those 10 seconds. Yeah, so it's more like as soon as he stops using his future vision power, he has 10 seconds to change his future where an illusion of what originally happened takes place is kind of the the feeling I got of it. So that's why it looked like to her she shot him, but he was totally fine because he moved out of the way. And so they showed that when she was looking at him get shot in Melody's enchantment, he was actually behind her looking at an empty room. Yeah. It is a little weird that we keep jumping back and forth in this story, but... I did like this chapter. His power is complex enough that there needed to be a graph to explain it, but I actually kind of like that too, and it did work. Yeah, a lot of the powers in this are very complex like that. That's kind of that's one of the reasons I really like Hunter x Hunter is he can get really detailed in these explanations of a power and this guy seeing that, all right, so being able to see 10 seconds into the future is pretty cool. And at first he thought that he wasn't able to affect it and he was like all right so i can if i sit and pause for 10 seconds i can see 10 seconds into the future that's a worthless power but then he realizes that as soon as he does it he sees 10 seconds into the future in like no time at all so there's no time lag so as long as his downside is in order to activate the power he has to be doing zetsu which means he drops his aura down to zero which is super dangerous in a fight because even though he can see 10 seconds into the future I don't know exactly how it worked when he got shot. Like, I don't know if it was that he saw her about to shoot him and moved, or I can't remember if it he was, was already doing his Zetsu when she tried to shoot him. So. Yeah, but that's that's the thing is it's su- it'd be super dangerous to just walk around with. It's actually not. It's not dangerous if nobody knows where you are. That's actually one of the main purposes of Zetsu is to completely hide your presence. But in the middle of a fight be extremely dangerous to drop all of your defenses to see 10 seconds into the future but he realizes that he's like oh the power of nen is super cool because that whole thing where i couldn't move for three minutes was someone else's ability and that's a lot of the intrigue in this series of how to use your powers effectively yeah so i actually really like this chapter even though i'm usually down on hunter hunter and i wonder if me finally getting one just made me like it a lot more with how frustrating understanding it has been so far but I did like this chapter quite a bit. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're super deep into Hunter x Hunter. So, like, I know Japan is a lot better about having continuous stories where you can kind of jump in. But, I mean, there comes a point, like, can you imagine somebody just coming into One Piece right now and trying to explain things to them? Like, all right, listen, you you just need to have been paying attention. But conversely, I've never read a chapter of Food Wars before. And I feel completely at home when I read Food Wars now. Yeah, but you're also right at the start of an arc, which I think helps. And this is also like, this is the end of an arc of arcs, like if that makes any sense. Like, this is a brand new turning point for Food Wars. Yeah. Because like, that's some of the problems with like Black Clover, for instance. They're, They're throwing a lot at you that they don't explain. And I mean, for you, it might just be you don't like the art style of the fights. I mean, that's a lot of it with Black Clover, but you're also right. Yeah. They never take a second to slow down and explain just for a second, though. So They don't, but at the same time, they have limited space. space. Yes, I understand that. And like Hunter x Hunter is in 300 chapters, and it's an old series that's 
gotten two different anime adaptations. Yeah. All right, so that leads us to the last chapter in the volume. Seraph of the End, Chapter 73, Inside Yu's Sword. Yep. I didn't take many notes for this because I was kind of rushed at the end, but I did like this chapter like I liked the last chapter of Seraph of the End. I don't know anyone's names, which makes this hard. Yep. But the demon that was talking to the girl last chapter, I guess a month ago, like is now invading you somehow. Yeah. But you has a demon weapon of his own. Yep. And so like they are fighting inside you. Yes. So when you goes to the girl, he's like, hey, what's up? I heard you're possessed by a demon. She's like, it's fine. I've always been possessed by a demon. Hey, wait, my demon's inside you. I don't think it's she was trying to say because he, he was like, hey, I've heard you're possessed by a demon. And she's like, well, you're also possessed by a terrible evil. He's like, oh, that's OK. I've been possessed by a terrible evil since forever. This one's brand new to you. And then she points out. Hey, he's like messing with your sword because she can hear his sword screaming. He's like, what? I can't hear anything. All right. Try and talk to your sword. I I can't hear anything. That's that's bad. So, yeah, it ends with you like entering his soul self or whatever. That's not the term this series uses, but no. So I didn't manage to completely catch up on Seraph of the End. But when he's talking to his demon like that earlier on in the series, he's unconscious all the time. Gotcha. Or every time he does it. So, clearly he's figured out some way to do it and still maintain, like, still be conscious or at least, like, be meditating or something like that. But, yeah, it's it's implied he's, like, inside his own mind or soul, some something like that. I don't know exactly what it is. So, this is hard to talk about because, like I said, I don't know any of the proper nouns, but I am continuing to like this pretty much. I wish it was weekly, just so I didn't have as much gap in my remembering of it. Yeah. But it does take a page to remind you where things were at yeah. the end of last chapter, which I appreciate a lot. Yeah, well, I mean, he's also aware that this is a monthly serialization. So I don't mind that it's once a month. You know, it's that oh, I wish it was weekly, but at the exact same time, it's like, yeah, but then it would probably suffer for being a weekly manga. All right, so that's all the stories in this week's extra-large issue of Shonen Jump. Yep. So it's time for us to rank them from our least favorite to our favorite. This is Jump Card. All right, so we will start at the bottom, like always, and I will start this week. At number 11, I have World Trigger, pretty much for the reasons we talked about when we were talking about it, but this is the first chapter of a Shonen Jump series where I've literally just been bored while I was reading it, even though a lot of times I think chapters are bad or have weak art, and this one didn't. I was just bored, and I was like, oh my god, are we going to see every team plan this out? I don't care. Yeah, World Trigger was also at the end for me. For me, it was more the frustration of, like, I can almost see what the chapter wants me to see. I just don't have the knowledge to fill in the picture. Like, maybe this would make a lot more sense if we had seen some of the earlier battles in this tournament. Maybe this would make a lot more sense if I knew more about the manga in general. But this is definitely a very weird picking on point for it, especially because it's like, hey, it's finally back. So, like, clearly something happened to bring it back. 
And so maybe it was just a author hiatus like Hunter x Hunter goes on. I yeah. know the author of that has had some health problems. It kind of sucks when it like this arc cut in the middle of the current arc because of health problems. So maybe that happened here. I don't know. I should really do more research. All right. So my number 10 is Black Clover. I really didn't like the fight sequences in this episode. I thought they were really messy. I had to read them multiple times to even kind of understand what was going on. And we've pretty much talked my frustrations with Black Clover to death. So I won't go further into them. I just really didn't like this chapter. So Yep. My number 10 was Dr. Stone. I just... I don't know where I stopped liking the... I guess it's it's just kind of weird that it was like... Even though it wasn't a super satisfactory conclusion, we had a conclusion of like, Haha, we have defeated Senku. And now Gen has turned on him. Well, I mean, I guess that makes sense, but like, why? Why is this? Why is this happening now? Yeah, my number nine is Doctor Stone for pretty similar reasons, and like I said, similar to Black Clover, I didn't really like the fight sequences in this chapter either. I think as individual panels, I guess they work better though. Yep. So I put it higher for that, but it just doesn't have much of the drama. I feel like I don't really care how this fight ends. And it seems like there's no way that it ends with Jin winning. So that yeah. would be like the most interesting outcome. So it feels like it's kind of treading water in a weird way. Yep. Well, and one of the things for Dr. Stone with me is that so Senku's friend, Taiju, Ta- yeah. Taiji, just like it isn't hasn't been in these last like five chapters, even though they they're finally reunited after like months of being separated because uh, Senku sent Taiju to spy on Tsukasa's empire. Yeah. And then there was like, hey, man, how's it going? And then literally nothing. Like, really? That, like, Taiju was almost the main character of this story. Like, he was very close to Senku. They were friends. They started out the chapter together. And now it's like, yeah, it's all about Senku. I mean, that's that's cool and all. But, like, we Taiju should be helping out, right? Like, he, what's going on with that? My number nine was Blue Exorcist. I did like this chapter. There was some cool stuff about like the reveal that Rinka is Satan was pretty interesting, but it's very weird that Rin. Rin. I think that's his name. I haven't seen him. But yeah, he wasn't here in this chapter at all, even though like he's viewing all of these events through time. Like that's the whole point of him doing this time travel thing is I think it's Mephistopheles is instead of explaining to him the past, literally showing him the past, which when you have the ability to do that, yes, that is a way more effective way of telling somebody about what happened. I'm not going to be able to explain it well. You're just going to watch. Perfect. Yeah, that was my number eight, Blue Exorcist. I actually did like the chapter. I thought it was a pretty good, like, self-contained story. It made a lot more sense than last month's Blue Exorcist. Yep. But I still don't super care for Blue Exorcist as a story. So while I thought this chapter was pretty good, I didn't like it as much as even kind of weak chapters of stories I really enjoy. This is a very weird arc for Blue Exorcist because Rin isn't involved yeah, at all. Like he's like, he's the casual observer. My number eight was Seraph of the End. So I did like this chapter, but because I'm not totally caught up, I know sort of what's going on, but not exactly how this situation got put into place. So I don't know who this weird four-winged angel-like person is. There's some really cool stuff where they're talking about that the angel being thing says demons don't actually exist, implying that Ashimaru, I think is the name of uh, Yu's sword, 
why does everyone have a Y protagonist name? Like, I, I think it's just a very common sound in Japanese. Probably. Probably very common Japanese naming convention. Probably. So Yu's sword's name is Ashimaru, but uh, the demon mensch is Tepis, or Teps, which is one of the vampire nobles from a section that I'm reading. So there's some like weird tie in there. So I'm just trying to figure out what's going on with this. But since I'm still like 20 chapters behind this one, or maybe even 30 chapters behind this one. So definitely by the next time, I will have caught up and know what's going on. But again, I did like this chapter, but it just kind of lost me because I had I didn't know exactly what was going on. My number seven was Food Wars. I really like Food Wars. I keep talking about this, but I thought this was kind of a weak chapter. I do like the setup of the new challenge, and I actually really like the bratty judge just because that's a character type I'm kind of into. I like that trope, but there wasn't any of the outstanding art that I really like Food Wars for. And -hmm. this challenge, it is interesting. I'm curious to see how it will go. But I find I don't find the stakes of food challenges being set up nearly as interesting as typical shonen anime fights. I guess. Even though I do like the payoff as much most yep. of the time. So my number seven was Hunter x Hunter. I did really like this chapter. The explanation of the power was cool. My rankings will be a little all over the place just because I really have a hard time. I get to a section of the all the manga where I'm like, I really liked these chapters. Yeah. I'm now kinda... I have to determine how much I really like these chapters. It's really easy when they're, I can do be a lot more grandiose, much less granular in my increments. So usually it's, uh, did I like something or not? So I, I do struggle with, all right, I'm going to put this one ahead. You're I... much more of a yes, no, instead of a five, six. Yes. Sort of person. And everything from food wars up. I did enjoy reading this week. I should yep. mention. I like Seraph of the end. Really, if it was just World Trigger and I guess Dr. Stone that I didn't particularly like these chapters for, even Blue Exorcist, like I enjoyed Blue Exorcist. It just went down the list. That was easy to do. But yeah, Hunter x Hunter was was really cool for me. So that's that's where it ended up on my list. And honestly, if I probably made this list again, it might change positions. So my number six was The Promised Neverland. I liked it a little more than Food Wars, even though I thought the two chapters were very comparable and they were both very transition-y setup chapters, because I feel like the cliffhanger at the end was a lot stronger, yep. showing that Andrew is still alive. He's clearly injured, so he might just follow them back and report, yep. or the kids might have to fight him now that he's injured, or a whole bunch of stuff could happen based on that. Yeah. So that's the reason that I put it up a little higher, but still under the chapters I really, really liked. Gotcha. My number six was Black Clover. I did really like this chapter. The explanation of the Green Mantis's captain, like how he uses his magic was pretty cool, even though it was like a single page explaining that. I thought the fight was pretty cool with Langris unleashing like a hundred orbs of obliteration or something like that, whatever spatial destruction orbs. And it was pretty interesting seeing Langris be like, I can stop like some of them, but you're going to have to dodge the rest which was just pretty funny that and him saving his family and then being like, well, you're just the courier of the black bulls. And then Captain Yami showing up and being like, Hey, don't talk down on my guys was pretty cool. But it, like you said, it wasn't, it wasn't one of my top chapters. So it ended up kind of this end of the list. I think it also went real low for me just because I was thinking with all the liquid magic, that was why the fight scenes from before were so busy. But reading this, I can say that, like, his fight scenes are just super, super busy. And yeah. And I don't like that. Yeah. 
I do like his fight scenes, so that's why I'll probably consistently rank Black Clover more, at least during action sequences, higher than you. It's not that I always like super busy fight scenes, but I can kind of track a lot of what's going on, and it's kind of cool to see this giant spectacle of, all right, so he's launching these, I can see them as like multicolored gate things flying through the air, but I understand you're not liking it as busy. So my number five was Seraph of the End. I don't really know why I put it so high. I think I just like Seraph of the End, like these two chapters. It seems very character-based from like the little slice I've seen. Yeah. And I tend to really prefer that, even though I don't know too much about these characters. And even just seeing the girl whose name I wish I remembered from last chapter, who was so cold, just being so much more uh, like talkative when Sh- you was around. Shino? Yeah. I want to say Shino. Was cool, and like the weird demon swords fighting each other in an astral realm is the sort of thing I'm into. Yeah. Yeah, Seraph of the End has some really cool art going on. It's got some really cool elements to it. There's still that. Clearly, it's the oh, the shonen protagonist is gaining more powers, but they've also got these cool hidden mysteries of like all this intrigue going on. So my number five was The Promised Neverland. I like this chapter for a lot of the same reasons you did, but it was kind of transitory. The cliffhanger at the end is definitely something I'm really interested in. Is Andrew going to try and kill the kids now? Is he going to report back? Is an um, ally of the kids going to show up? What exactly is going to happen? I'm interested in this other guy claiming to be Mr. Minerva, who is clearly different than the other one. They seem to maybe not know what the other one has said. So, because they made it sound like, oh, well, he he mentioned that he mentioned it this way in the last message and then a different way in this message. So we'll see how that goes. My number four was Hunter Hunter. Like I said, I may have given this one a big boost just because I was so proud of myself for getting it and it not being as confusing as the past ones. But also the first chapter of Hunter Hunter we read was also a power explanation. And I think the author is just really good at coming up with weird, interesting powers. He it was something re- he was really good at in Yu Yu Hakusho. And- he's really, yeah, he's really good at it. I definitely like the explanation of these cool Nen abilities that it's not something super simple like I can shoot fire. It's like, all right, I have the ability to see 10 seconds into the future and can only affect myself, which is neat. This really neat power. It's really powerful when you start thinking about it but right off the bat it doesn't come off as something that's it's not that it's not useful but it's like oh the ability to see 10 seconds into the future that's not super great until you start thinking about actual sword fights are over in a couple of seconds so the ability to see 10 seconds into the future means you can see every move that guy is gonna make my number four was the comic i really like this chapter again Part of the reason I think this went just a little bit lower on my list than it probably did for yours is uh, I still get annoyed at the, um, like I, I like I mentioned, the, oh, well, I'm going to run away from my completely valid alibi. Like, you literally just had a moment where you broke this other guy's alibi. Is like, you had a completely valid alibi. Maybe don't run from the detective and try to explain things to him rather than, I'm going to prove it myself. I mean, that's cool and all, and I get that's what the story is. But in the back of my head, I've got the voice telling me, like, why you've been in an internet cafe for days. Like, clearly you have records of you being here. You can clearly see, like, yeah, I was here. Like, hey, look at this guy. How did he capture some woman? Why would he dress her up in a Halloween costume? And then why would she run around saying, this guy did the Halloween Town murders? 
Yeah, I was bothered more by this chapter than the previous ones in that regard, but I still really did like the rising tension, and I can kind of understand, my understanding is that the Japanese legal system is a lot more based on actually getting a guilty verdict than the United States one, and the prosecution rates are super, super high, so I get it a little bit more of why you would want airtight proof yeah before you go in especially since he at least knows one person got falsely accused of this already yeah all right my number three was one piece i did really like this chapter but at the end of the day it was pretty much just a fight i did really like the fight though it's pretty one-sided though for most of it with luffy beating up on kaido and then at the end kaido just no sells it but again i did like it there's one panel in particular where kaido does his like big blast attack again and you don't really see how anyone dodged it and that kind of bugged me. But for the most part, I really did like this chapter of One Piece. Yep. My number three was Food Wars. I really like this setup of it being a convenience store food battle, especially because we've seen in the past Yukihira do some stuff with convenience store food. So I'm excited to see what he does. And I'm, I was kind of expecting some of the Noirs to be at this gate. We like, haven't seen any of them yet, but they might just be saving that. They might just be saving that, and I'm expecting him to blow a couple of them away with his ability. And his senpai and him getting into a competition is going to be pretty interesting. So I'm excited to see that. Also, uh, Yukihira, Aldini, and Todoroki are all reunited again, so this is going to be pretty cool seeing what they do from here on out. All right, my number two was We Never Learn. Like I said when we talked about it, I really like this setup. I really like the continuing story, and it ends on a pretty tense cliffhanger, even though, it, again, it's all basic romantic comedy stuff. Also, the sister liking him was got a little bit of an eye roll from me, but in almost a good way. Yeah. Like, well, of course he has a sister who's super into him with a big rack. Oh, that, why wouldn't he? That was established a very yeah, long time I ago. Know. Yeah, but this is your first time seeing it. So my hero goes in between my number three and my number two. This chapter was really cool. There was a really cool reveal from one of the class A heroes. There's another really cool cliffhanger set up for another cool reveal. So I'm definitely looking forward to next week's chapter. But my number two was also We Never Learn. I really liked this chapter. There were some great funny bits in it. I'm excited to see what's going to happen with this extremely awkward situation that Fumino and Yugiha have gotten themselves into. And I'm just excited to see the next chapter. All right. So my number one was the comic. I don't want to say by default, but I put it there when I was reading it and nothing seemed better than it. It does have a real nice sense of action going through it. I love the manga death threat on a tie. That that is some straight up Riddler bullshit. That was Um, pretty great, especially because it was like uh, Himikawa walks in there. He shows the tie and then he walks out and he's like, you're not going to say anything. Ah, He can't talk anyway. Yeah. It's really cool. And then like the, I'm going to pay someone to dress up as a murder victim and stay in his house and run out screaming. Yep. Like it's all like some DC Comics Batman villain shenanigans and I'm pretty into it. No, it was pretty good. Uh, So my number one was One Piece. I liked Luffy's reaction to thinking that that one girl he met was dead. I remember reading somewhere that it's One Piece and nobody ever dies uh, except for uh, Ace and Whitebeard. But and I guess um, I mean that's what I say all the Pedro. time. Is nobody dies in One Piece, even though that is increasingly less true. Now, like three characters have died in one thousand chapters. Yep, but I still liked his reaction of uh, I should have stayed by her side. Like I shouldn't have left it to fate to protect her. I should have protected her. 
It's also good since his crew just like apparently died and he's like, oh man, they have to have survived, right? Yeah. But we can also see that he clearly doesn't know that. Like, Law's like, hey, remember the plan? And Luffy's like, but everybody we teamed up with might be dead, so like we can't take the risk of just yep. letting the plan go through. Well, and I, I also like his, uh, you know, hey, remember the plan. Screw the plan. If I beat Kaido now, we win. Yeah. It's like, well, I mean, you're right, but he clearly gets beat. So I did really like this chapter. I liked the setup of Kaido defeating him in a single blow. I can't remember anybody beating Luffy that soundly before. I feel like it's happened. Kumo, for example. But. Actually, does Kumo even fight? He, like, slaps him away, so. Well, yeah, but. It depends on your interpretation of a fight. Well, the, the one time that the Straw Hat Pirates actually fight Kuma, Kuma shows up and beats on Moira. The shadow thing, because that, that's the part where uh, he pushes all of Luffy's pain out yeah. and force it is like, all right, Zoro, I'll help you out if you can accept all of the pain that Luffy has taken, which is, you know, this incredible amount. I mean, that was a great moment of tension of like Kuma just shows up and instantly beats all of the Straw Hat Pirates, even though he doesn't really beat them. He actually helps them out. I feel like his first round with Crocodile might also be similarly one-sided, but it's been a very long time since. Well, and I'm not saying that he hasn't lost or lost in those one-sided moments, but I don't recall anyone literally beating him in one One punch. attack? Okay, that's fair. There's been a couple of times where he's lost, he's had to develop new strategies, but he at least, like, tried something. This was like, I was beating on Kaido, and then Kaido essentially just woke up from being drunk and was like, hey, Brat, stop that. And... The last line of uh, What King was pretty good, too. Yeah, because all of uh, Luffy's attacks have King in them. Or no, I guess not all of them, but the one he was trying. He shouted at Kaido. He's like, hey, I'm the guy who's going to be King of the Pirates. Oh, and then too. starts blasting on him. And he's like, bam, what King? Yeah, I, I took it as a thing on the King Kong gun, actually. But I think you're probably right. Yeah. Uh, so that does it for this week's issue of Shonen Jump. Like I said, I didn't super care for it. There were some very good chapters in there, though. Like yeah. everything from One Piece and up. And he, really from uh, Seraph at the End and up. I really enjoyed reading. So, And all of, there were plenty of others in there that I still had fun going through. I really hope World Trigger picks up because I like the premise a lot. Yep. But the, each chapter of the manga itself just really seems drawn out and kind of boring. Yeah, I feel like they're going to pick up, like, we're going to start into some action, and then that's where it's really going to get fun, I hope. All right, so speaking of fun, this week we read Volume 1 of Miyako Takeuchi's Sailor Moon, so we will be talking about that after the break. All right, we're back and here to talk about Sailor Moon. Again, something we're familiar with from our childhoods yep. this time. So what's your experience with Sailor Moon in the past, Kevin? I saw the anime. When it was on Toonami, I assume? Yes, that's the version that I've seen. And I I haven't seen that much of it. It was kind of, uh, I might catch it occasionally when it's playing, but I wasn't like, I didn't get super into Sailor Moon, but it was, I was excited to see episodes when they came up but i wasn't hunting them down either yeah i think i'm more into sailor moon and when i was a kid it was the same it was just on toonami it was on before dbz so yep. 
I usually watched it. I kind of came back to it when Sailor Moon Crystal got big. Crystal itself kind of sucks, unfortunately, or at least the first season does. Yeah. But that caused me to watch a bunch of the redub when it was on Hulu, and Hulu didn't cost money. Yep. And I'm a big fan of the Sailor Business podcast, and I own a couple of the seasons of anime on DVD, and I've read all of Codename Sailor V. The Calling it a prequel manga isn't accurate, because it did literally come first, but yeah, the other manga series by Naoko Takeuchi that ties in heavily with Sailor Moon. Yep. But I've always meant to read Sailor Moon, but then we started launching this podcast, so I kind of started saving it for it. So here gotcha. we are. Yeah. So what did you think of this volume? I like this volume, but there's definitely some very weird stuff going on. Like a lot of it is just like that's those weird Japanese people. But I do I do remember a lot of the tone from the anime being very similar to this of like Usagi's just this big crybaby and I don't remember it being so easy as like Usagi going like I'm completely useless and then unleashing this awesome power. But I think that's because I didn't see the early parts of the anime. I think I like I might have missed them or I'm not remembering them well. So I remember after they've established themselves and are doing stuff. It's funny that you say that because she's way more of a useless crybaby in the anime, I feel, than in the manga here. But I think it might be that the contrast is less, too, because she's not unleashing those awesome powers as much in yeah. the anime since it's a lot more episodic. Totally possible. And like I saw it when it was running on Toonami and. I don't remember it super well. Like, I I like Osagi. She's a pretty interesting character. It's kind of funny that I say that the anime is more episodic, because of all the manga volumes we've read so far, this one is the one that feels the most episodic to me. Since of yep. the six chapters in this volume, four of them are just introductions to Sailor Scouts. Yep. We only get four of them in this volume. Sailor V is mentioned a number of times because she's established, but that manga was still ongoing when this one started, yep. so she doesn't show up here yet in this first volume. Yeah, and I didn't, because I've never read that, I didn't recognize who she was. But that's kind of a cool thing that goes in the background, and like Usagi is a big fan of Sailor V. Yep, and she plays the Sailor V video game in order to unlock her new powers. Which, if you are reading Codename Sailor V, that video game was created to train Mina to be Sailor V because she can't focus, but she likes to play video games. Gotcha. Well, I mean, that seems to be the same thing with Usagi. Yeah. You know, like, you can't get her to do anything, but it's like, oh, well, if I'm playing video games, it's fun. Uh, but hers also has a prize dispenser to give out various items of power to her. Yep. Which is a pretty cool gimmick. Also, when we were talking about Cypher, I was talking about how it looked like generic shoujo manga to me, and it's how I remember Sailor Moon looking. Yep. But Sailor Moon has a much more distinct look, I think. It uses chibi characters a lot more. Yes. Especially to make Usagi look cute when she's crying or whining or yep. whatever. They also do this really cool thing where they have little characters inside the word balloons if characters are off screen. Like whenever Usagi's talking but isn't on screen, there's a little rabbit in her word balloons to show you that that's her. Yeah, and that's definitely something really cool. I've seen certain other media do that with uh, multicolored speech balloons, but this is definitely a really easy way of differentiating because I'll be reading books sometimes where like six people are having a conversation, and sometimes it's really hard to track who says what without like rereading through the conversation a couple times. Like, okay, so it wouldn't make sense for this person to say it, so it was probably this person saying it. 
when it's just like line, line, line. All right, can you maybe tell me who's saying what? Like, it'd be easier if I were at the conversation or in a movie watching people speak. I could put faces to the lines. Yeah. And so this was definitely a really cool thing of, oh, so that's, you know, Usagi saying it, or that's Mercury saying uh, That's not her name. I'm, I'm very I'm very bad with names right now. Usagi, actually, Ami, Rei, Makoto, Mamoru. I'm very bad with names in general, so... <laughs> I, I'm familiar enough with Sailor Moon that I can get them all. Strangely enough, I'm I'm bad with people's names. I used to know magic cards down to like thousands of magic cards. I could track all of that. And then people's names just, nope, apparently my brain decides that they are not important and doesn't remember them. All right. So our main character is Usagi Tsukino, which means rabbit of the moon if you read Japanese. but Which I don't. Yes, I know. She has big, long ponytails that look like rabbit ears. Yep. And, and dumplings on her head. Her hobbies, as she says in the second chapter, are eating, sleeping, and taking the easy way out. Same. Yep. <laughs> That's why Usagi is the best. Yeah. She's real bad at school. She's in middle school. She's 14, I believe. Yeah, yeah That's she's... Right. Uh, but she's really bad as a student because she's clumsy and she doesn't study. She only gets a 30 on her English test. Yeah. She also tends to not show up on time and is generally just kind of flaky. Yes. So she's out with her friends because her best friend Naru's mom owns a jewelry store and she's having a big sale right now. Yep. But because she did only got a 30 on her test, she didn't get any money, so she can't afford anything. Yep. And she nails some dude who on the street who's just casually wearing a tuxedo right in the face with her test. I didn't think he was wearing a tuxedo. I thought he just had a, it's like his school uniform. It's just like a very fancy suit jacket. We do see him in that later, but here he's straight up wearing like a full... Oh, is he wearing... Yeah. Okay. Because she even comments, who wears a full tuxedo, just like walking out and about. Gotcha. But yeah, she balls up her test and throws it at him and nails him in the face with it. And he unfurls is like, what, a 30? You need to study more, girl, and stop throwing paper at random strangers. Yes. He is also the one who comments on her dumpling heads. She's got like buns in her hair. It, they're very weird, but they're like... It's a Japanese hairstyle that I've yeah. seen outside of this. The proper name for them is Odongos, but okay. they usually get translated as buns because, again, you don't really see American people with that hairstyle unless yeah. they are cosplaying Sailor Moon. Yeah, they're fairly close to the American bun, so it, it makes sense why people would refer to them as that. Anyway, Usagi finds a cat with a band-aid on her forehead, so she takes it off, but the band-aid was covering up the moon symbol on her forehead, which allows her to talk. Yep, although not immediately, right? Like, Well, she runs off at first, yeah. so. And then she comes back and is like, hey, you're a pretty sailor guardian. You need to save the world. Well, I first like that the cat shows up. She's like, oh, it's hey, it's that cat again. And the cat goes, clears its throat. And it's like, wait, did that cat just clear its throat? And then it begins talking and she, of course, flips out. Anyway, she gives Sailor Moon a transformation brooch. And it's like, hey, we have to, like, stop the enemy. And she transforms. She looks very much like Sailor V when she first transforms, mask and all. Yep. But she usually ends up going without the mask, so. Yep. She does use it at first, though, like goggles and sees her friend Naru in danger because her mom has been replaced by a monster. Yep. Who is, like, going to murder her and says, your mom is dead of starvation in the basement. And I do really like there's this little panel that shows her tied up. And then there's this, this little note, not dead yet. Well, I think it was dying of starvation. Not no, she says she, she says dead. She, she okay. threatens she is dead, but 
Yeah. And it's so this the monster trying to freak out this poor 14 year old girl. Yeah. And the monster, the reason that she was having a sale was they were energy stealing gems. Yeah. That she, she needs was, youth energy. Yes. So she was giving it away to young girls who would show up to a jewelry sale and was planning to steal all of their energy to give back to the ruler. Did they mention that in the first chapter, or is it just, I'm steal- I'm planning on stealing the energy? They hint towards it. I don't okay. remember if they said it in the first chapter or not. But yeah, they're trying to resurrect Queen Metallia. Don't worry about her. Yeah, well, even in the first volume, they just mention there's the queen that's directing them. Yeah, and there's then- Queen Beryl, and then there's Queen Metallia, who, as uh, Sailor Business calls her, the double queen. Gotcha. <laughs> you know, how it goes, you know, knight, queen, double queen. <laughs> yes. The now Sailor Moon uses her tiara right well first she starts crying oh yes she that's cries right supersonic waves which is eh it's not a bad touch especially since usagi's such a crybaby but it is not the best power to be using to defeat your opponents uh and tuxedo mask a weird gentleman thief who looks like our son lupin shows up as well yep because he need, he's looking for the legendary silver crystal he's like hey maybe this jewelry shop has it yep so then sailor moon uses her tiara to Turn the monster into dust like it is a Buffy vampire. Yes. Although Buffy and Sailor Moon actually have a lot in common the more deeper you go. Yeah. So yeah, that's Sailor Moon's first victory. And from there, we get a bunch of chapters that are pretty formulaic, introducing the other Sailor Guardians. Yep. There's Ami, the Guardian of Water. She's super smart. Yeah, because it's uh, Mercury, Goddess of Wisdom. Uh, then there's Rey, who is Sailor Mars, the... Guardian of Passion and Fire? Yep. That sounds right. So um, it might have just been Wisdom and Water. It might have been. I don't remember. And then after those two are kind of awakened, there is a sort of transition chapter where Luna's is like, hey, we have to find the princess and the legendary silver crystal and protect them. Ami, you're the brains. Ray, you're the fire. You're the muscle, I guess. Yep. Except for Makoto's the muscle. She shows up later. Yeah. And Yusaki, you have to be the leader. Yep. Yusaki's like, I am not equipped for this, but... That's fine. Yeah. Also, Usagi 100% has a crush on all her friends. Yeah. I think it's just kind of written that way because it's shoujo manga, but that's 100% how it comes off. She's always telling them how beautiful they are and how jealous she is of how smart Ami is. It also doesn't super work that Ray's like standout trait. She's beautiful because all these women are drawn pretty much the same. Well, and I think a lot of that is... They're all supposed to be beautiful, like the arcade owner at one point comments on, like, man, all of Usagi's friends are gorgeous, which there's just a lot of weird crush, not weird crushes, but there's a lot of, like, crushes going on. Usagi's really into Tuxedo Mask. Yes, obviously, because he keeps showing up to save her, mostly by just, like, kind of being there, but it's also important that in the second chapter, Tuxedo Mask just sees Usagi transforming, so. Yep. And like Sailor V, she gets a transformation pen to give her disguises so she can move around. Yep. Uh, she Transforms so, like, into a nurse, a flight attendant. Yes, a flight attendant to get on a bus because flight attendants are there to make sure people get to their destination safely. That, I mean, that was a great line. Like, Because even Luna's like, why did you transform into a flight attendant? Uh, so then chapter four is kind of, like I said, they're going through what they need to do. There's a princess coming through town to reveal some sort of secret ancient treasure. Maybe that's the legendary silver crystal. So Tuxedo Mask and Usagi and Rei and Ami all go to kind of infiltrate the party. But the princess gets possessed by one of the demons that the enemy 
which is all they're really called in this, sends after Yeah. Them. Well, and at this point, I think they're revealed that they're the four demon generals, or like... Four Knights of Heaven is usually how it gets okay. mentioned. One of them is like the Far East Commander, there's a Far North Commander, a Far South Commander, and a Far West Commander. Gotcha. And in Ray's intro, she murders one of them with fire. Yeah, so the princess who looks very similar to the Usagi's nerdy friend because she wears glasses, and they have that... The glasses are huge and round and have this, like, spiral in them, which I don't know if this is the manga that started that trend, but I've definitely seen that. The nerdy glass, like, the glasses are opaque and have this weird spiral in them for when they're nerdy. I can tell you for a fact it didn't start it because of the character in Codename Sailor V that's exactly the same, but it wouldn't surprise me if this is a callback to her art style that... Yeah, that's later. what I meant. Not not yeah, specifically that Sailor Moon did, but maybe this artist did, or maybe that's just a Japanese trope of, like, that's how you draw people with glasses. I can't think of tropes like that off the top of my head for American media, but I know there are some of, like, you draw, this is a symbolic representation of this guy being nerdy, as yeah. he wears glasses. I, he doesn't wear those cute glasses that you can push up to look smart. He wears yep. spiraling glasses. Giant, like giant Coke bottle lenses. There's also a great bit where the princess loses her glasses at one point, and all the girls realize that she's beautiful without her glasses on. And they're like, oh, man, does Umino look super hot, too? No, yeah. probably not. I think it'd be funny if he did. Yes, like, it would be very funny. But, unfortunately, they all dismiss that immediately as yep. an option. Anyway, this chapter is weird because Usagi almost falls down off a balcony. And Tuxmedio Max tries to save her, but it doesn't work. So her, like, transformation pen turns into a Mary Poppins umbrella. Yep, and saves the both of them. He's like, ha, huh, I guess you ended up saving me. I think this is also the first chapter where Usagi mentions that she feels like she knows Tuxedo Mask, even yeah. from, like, before she met him a couple of days ago. She's yeah. like, I feel like I know him. And Tuxedo Mask, we also see, is also having weird dreams about her. Yep. Where he's like, you have to find this legendary silver crystal. Yeah, And that's all he knows. This also chapter ends very weirdly because Usagi gets drunk by accident and then Tuxedo Mask makes out with her. Yep. We also find out that Tuxedo Mask is like 18. I think we knew this at that point yeah, as well. Yeah, Usagi on, they meet and he tells her he's in high school. I think he's 17. He might, he might be 17. He's not 21 like in the anime, which is mega problematic. Yeah, way worse. The 17 and 14 is great, but a three-year gap. Isn't it's a three-year gap, and both of them are underage, at least according to our standards. Seven-year gap, and one of them being underage and one of them not is real real bad. Yes. So after Drunk Usagi and Tuxedo Mask make out, there's another introductory chapter for Sailor Jupiter, who, like I said, is the muscle. Yep. She also just straight up electrocutes to death one of the four heavenly generals. Yep. So now there are only two. Yes. Also, her whole thing is she's, like, super tall and super strong, but also super girly. She's very into cooking. Yeah. She's also very nice, but because of her appearance, she has different colored hair than everybody else because she's not Japanese bloodlined, it feels like. Yeah, and she also doesn't wear the normal school uniform because it's too short for her. Well, yeah, that was the, she had her, like, old school uniform, and the teacher is like, why aren't you wearing our school uniform? Well, none of the ones fit me. And he's like, and why did you dye your hair? She's like, this is my natural color. Because I think she's a brunette, right? Yeah. You know, unlike the blonde Sailor Moon and blue-haired Ami Mizuno. And yes. 
Well, like, again, blue hair is fine in anime. It's weird <laughs> that Usagi's blonde hair is totally okay. And they're like, how dare you have brunette hair? Uh, so this volume ends on a very, like, intense chapter. Yep. Where Tuxedo Mask just, like, Joker-style takes over the news. And is like, hey, I need any information on the legendary silver crystal. And the... Starts this countrywide hunt yeah. for it. And, well, it's heavily implied that the remaining two generals, like, are brainwashing people to make them try to find it, because they also want the legendary silver crystal. Yep. Well, I mean, the enemy, Queen Beryl, takes advantage of this. She's like, huh, well, this will be perfect. We'll get humans to search for the crystal for us. So Luna's like, ah, we can't trust that tuxedo mask guy after all. The legendary crystal is super important. It can destroy the planet. Or all life in the universe, something like that. It's the Death Star. (laughs) Yeah. So they need to find it, and we also see that in the arcade under the Sailor Moon game, like, Luna has set up a secret base for them. Yep. So Usagi goes out trying to find Tuxedo Mask while Ami and Ray are trying to deal with... I mean, I can't remember how this goes now. It's been a while since I read it. They're dealing with the disappearing... Or no, this is the one with the bridal. Oh, yeah. It's, uh... No, that was chapter five. Was bridal. that chapter five? Yeah, okay. that's where Makoto. No, it's like the TV special is draining people's powers. That's right. And energy, like in the jewelry plot. Yep. And Ami, using math, finds out that it's being broadcast from Tokyo Tower. So she and Ray go to stop that. Like, Usagi is looking for Tuxedo Mask. Well, so was this the one with the the bus then? Or was no, that... that's a uh, race chapter. Yeah, that was a race chapter. Why do I keep... <laughs> I'm trying to figure out why Usagi was there, because they get separated during this. Yeah, because Usagi, I think, is just looking for Tuxedo Mask. Okay. Because, like, he popped up, and she wants to know if he's, like, an enemy or not. Gotcha. And so the other two go to the tower, and she has a new weapon that Luna gave her, but she's like, ah, I'll teach you how to use it later. Yep. And she sees all the people who are kind of passed out, and just ends up kind of focusing and trying to use it, like in the video game. Yep. Which knocks her out, but saves everybody. Yeah, she kind of just, like, wishes that everybody would be okay, and then clearly heals everybody. Yes. Which is, you know, pretty deus ex machina, but also pretty cool that it's kind of her selflessness and her trying that saves the day. Uh, Then she wakes up in Mamoru's bed because, gasp, he was tuxedo mask all along. No, I guess she didn't know that. He knew she was Sailor Moon. Yeah. But he isn't hiding it at this point. He's not, like, dressed up. He's yeah. just like, hey, we need to talk. Things are weird. I keep have, kept having these dreams about how I needed to find the legendary silver crystal. Well, yeah, he was like, I can't believe everyone went as crazy for the, like, I was just looking for the silver crystal. I didn't think people were going to get hurt over this. And that's where things end on another, like, pretty good cliffhanger and the story kind of feeling like it's starting. Yeah. Because most of the chapters in this just feel like they're introducing characters. Yeah, there's been a little bit of, it's really Luna is the tying force, and the Sailor Scouts confront her at one point of like, all right, so we need to find this princess. Who? And Luna even says, like, I literally can't tell you. You need to assemble the Sailor Scouts, and then, like, the information will be unlocked. Yeah, and she's like, hey, you guys will start slowly remembering stuff. And there's the thing between Tuxedo and Mask and Sailor Moon where they always feel like, they know each other. Well, yeah. And at the end, Luna straight up mentions that they're all reincarnations. Yeah. And she says the Luna's from the ruins of the lost moon. Oh, like, I don't even remember that coming up, but. Yeah. yeah. They, she mentions the ruins on the moon or the lost moon ruin. I don't or remember the, the exact the one. Moon kingdom. The, yeah. The ruins of the moon kingdom. So it's clear that all these girls are reincarnations and that there's been this secret of like, who is the princess? What is the silver crystal? And like, 
Luna knows more than is letting on, but even Luna is like not able to talk about it. And you don't know if it's just she doesn't want to talk about it until they're ready or like there's some kind of weird magical spell stopping her from doing it. Yeah, so I feel like we didn't do a great job of summarizing the plot or what's good about Sailor Moon, but a lot of it is the art style. It's very good at flipping between tones and art yeah. on a dime. It's very good at drawing these beautiful women and just like, ah, they're pretty. You're supposed to want to be them. Yep. But like in the fight scenes, they're very intense. And especially the aftermath of what happens to the generals is always super brutal. Yeah. And she's very good at using chibi characters to convey emotions. Yep. And And then Usagi seem cute even when she's like whining and crying. Well, yeah, because a lot of the, like you said, the tonal shift of, you know, some of the early chapter will start off with. Girls doing girl stuff like, oh, I want to be a bride. I want to buy jewelry. Them gossiping about the bus that steals people's souls, like all this kind of kitty. The bus that steals people's souls isn't girly, but like all the girls want to be a bride. Them talking about who they like, that kind of thing. And then, like you said, it switches to this battle sequence where it's a lot more vivid and brutal and realistic. Not hyper-realistic in the contrast between like Promise Neverland, where the villains are hyper-realistic and the heroes are not, and they're much more cartoony. But definitely a, a tonal shift of, uh, it's bright, happy, fun, and then, bam, we are turning this person into a pile of ash as their skeleton starts disintegrating. Yeah. And the art in it is consistently very, very good. All right. So, is there anything else we want to say about Sailor Moon? Do you want to read the second volume after reading the first one? It ends off, I think, on a good cliffhanger that really, like, feels like we're going to start revealing stuff so yeah i would want to read it even if i just picked up sailor moon i feel like i would have wanted to read it even without knowing anything else about the story or having seen the anime like seeing this would make me want to go i kind of want to see like these girls are reincarnations i want to see her assemble the rest of the sailor scouts because they mentioned they're not done yet sailor v keeps getting mentioned there's the mystery of the princess and this magical death crystal Yeah, there's a bunch of really cool stuff going on. Again, like I mentioned last week, Shoujo isn't typically what I look for in my media content. And it's not that I don't like it. It's honestly, at this point, I just have so little time and a bunch of different interests that I kind of have to pick and choose my battles. But Sailor Moon is practically shown in anime, right? Yeah. It's got a lot of Shoujo concerns. Like you said, it's a lot about the girls. Like the fantasy, I think, at its core is about wanting to be a princess, kind of. Yeah. But there's also a lot of the battle stuff and the intrigue you'd get in a Shonen series. Yeah, and that's why I definitely want to pick up Sailor Moon, is even though it is very much a shoujo manga, it's not just a shoujo manga. It is a shoujo manga with shonen elements, and I think that's why it became one of the first anime that kids would have watched. I mean, not one of the first, but one of the top ones that they would have watched. Like, normally you wouldn't think a shoujo manga would be one of the first ones to come over to America. Yeah, well, it's a lot of it has to do with the anime being super, super influenced by Super Sentai. Yeah. And Power Rangers became the most popular thing on the planet. So the idea of Power Rangers aimed at girls was incredibly appealing as something to try to bring over. Yeah, and I, I get that. But it's because of that Super Sentai version of it. Like, I feel like some of these shoujo manga would not have come over during the 90s very easily some of the ones that do now as more and more anime is acceptable over here are not acceptable but accepted all right so i think that's all we have to say on sailor moon i'm excited to get to volume two hopefully sooner rather than later 
but before we check out and say what we're going to read next week, we have to take care of one more item of business, which is we have to put something on the personality power level list. Vegeta, what does the scouter say about his power level? So personality power level is our segment where we rank characters from manga, from the ones we like the most, the ones we think are the best, to the most boring ones that we don't really want to see. So we're going to be putting Usagi on the list this week because she is the main character of Sailor Moon. Yep. At the top of our list, we have Izuki Midoriya from My Hero Academia. At the bottom, we have Ichigo Kurosaki from Bleach. And in the middle, we have Anise Murphy from Cypher. So I think because that's the other shoujo manga we've read, that's where we should start. Yep. I like Usagi more than I like Anise. Anise has a more forceful character. Usagi's like way more of a crybaby, but she's also very relatable. Yeah. And, like, she has to overcome herself, which I like, in a way that Anise kind of doesn't, because she's more fully formed to begin with. Yeah, I do like that aspect about her. I'm wondering if we read more into Cypher, if Anise's character will change a little bit, because, like, I really liked the hidden intelligence, or not, I guess, the hidden intelligence, but the the intelligence that Anise showed at the end of, like, at first she just seemed like a vapid valley girl even though Valley Girl doesn't apply to Japanese women, but a Valley Girl who suddenly you figure out, oh, she actually thinks about things. That was kind of a cool turn for me. Oh, but I did say at the start, whenever we revisit series, yeah. I want to have the option to move characters, especially in the case of like a niece where we have no familiarity with where that character goes. And that's totally possible. So I think I agree with you there. I like Usagi a little bit more than... Anise, like you said, she's a lot more relatable in the fact that she's very lazy. She's like, I like these things. I don't like doing the things I don't like, even though people tell me they're important. I guess the one thing I don't relate to the whole not getting up on time thing. That's a personal thing of like, I'm never late to things. All right. I try to never be late to things as opposed to her, who's much more laissez-faire about it. All right. So do we think she's better than Monkey D. Luffy, who we have right above Anise right now? That's a pretty large gap. I don't think so, even knowing what I do know about Usagi. I don't remember much about the show, so you'll have probably a bit, a lot more understanding of Usagi as a character, but I like Luffy more. I like his his depth more. So I kind of think we should put Usagi above Luffy for the same reason that we did with Midoriya, which is that I feel like Usagi develops in a way that Luffy doesn't, and that to me is the sign of a better character. She's also hyper-adaptable because anime Usagi is a little different while still feeling like Usagi. Live-action Usagi is a little different while still feeling like Usagi. And those are all, I think, important traits on a character. That said, if you think we should put her below Luffy for now, I'm willing to argue her up as we go on and put her here for now. That's why I'm totally fine doing it the other way. So my thing is I've basically started at Volume 1. I've got Volume 1 Usagi versus I've got... 993 chapter Luffy going on so I haven't seen her growth I have seen her growth but I don't remember it especially when I was that young I wasn't paying attention to that kind of stuff I wasn't paying attention to maybe subconsciously paying attention to character development but it's not something I can think about like oh I remember how this character grew as a person that's I remembered the cool fight scenes the cool transformation sequences like that's what sticks in my head about Sailor Moon not the characters' personalities, at least from when I was much younger. Yeah, so you think we should put her above for now or below for now? I'm fine either way. I don't think she should go above Midoriya, at least not yet. 
because I'm basically using the same argument to put her above Luffy as I am with Midoriya, and I know you know a lot more about him. Yeah, although now because you've seen you've seen the anime at least, so yeah, you've seen a lot of his growth. I can concede your argument that she grows more as a person than Luffy does, even though I really do like Luffy. I also kind of have a preference for characters you're supposed to sympathize with and emphasize with to ones like Luffy that are kind of more aspirational. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm good with putting her above Luffy for right now, but still below Midoriya, because, man, I just, I really like Midoriya. All right, so Usagi will take the number two spot below Izuki Midoriya, but above Monkey D. Luffy, which I think is fine for now. I might try to argue her up higher in the future, but we'll see. But still, I think Midoriya is a pretty solid number one for a while, so. Yeah, I can't think of other characters that I like more off the top of my head. I yeah. mean, I probably could, but I'm I'm not giving it that much thought. But I really like Izuku. All right. So next week, we're going to be reading something that I have a very baseline familiarity with. And that's something a lot of people I know read and watched and recommended to me. But I don't have any really experience with that. And that's Oren High School Host Club. Yep. That's the similar thing for me. I know people who have recommended it, but I haven't actually seen it or read it. Yeah, so it's going to be interesting because, again, shoujo really hasn't been my cup of tea. So most of these titles, like, I've heard of before and I've heard people say these are good. So that's why we were looking at them. But I have no experience with Orin High School Host Club. All right. So our website is www.lastpodcast.com. That's where you can see the personality power level list. It's where you can leave comments if you want us to read something in particular or you want to talk about your experience with Sailor Moon, or anything you think we've missed on it, because I don't know that we did a great job talking about why it was good, even though I think both of us really liked it. Yeah, I feel like we skipped over a lot of this stuff. You can also see my other two podcasts there. Last time on Video Games, where I talk about old video games. This week we played Super Ghouls and Ghosts. And It's a Gundam, which is an episode-by-episode Gundam Seed podcast. We're on episode 16 right now. If you like the show, please give us a rating and review on iTunes. That helps people find us. And I don't think there are a lot of manga podcasts. So if even a few reviews might help bump us up through the ranks and get some more people listening. It would yeah. really help us out if you don't mind. Our opening theme is Fighting Against One's Will by Midair Machine. Our closing theme is A Psychic Fist Fight by Tom W. Emmert. Other music is by Spectacular Sound Productions. Our fantastic album art is by Kate Wind. You can see her on DeviantArt. Anything you want to plug, Kevin? So I just kind of, this is more of like a news update, but the uh, Crunchyroll Funimation thing has, or their contract, their like collaboration contract has ended. And so very recently they listed the titles that are going to be leaving Crunchyroll. A bunch of stuff is moving over to Funimation. Some of the Funimation stuff is moving back over to Crunchyroll. So this is kind of the time to check up on those and try and catch up. Hey, if you wanted to see like Steins Gate is leaving Crunchyroll and some of the titles like that. They they haven't finalized the list, but this is the time to catch up on those titles or decide which of the two you're going to support or both. But this is just something kind of big in the American anime industry. And I just wanted to put that out there. All right. So we will see you next week.
I like that gag a lot. I'm sorry. Yep. I'm sure it's hard on your ears, but no. I like it.